0: Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. Well, we're going to get into our, our word today. We're actually going to close out the series called Let It Go. Tell your neighbor, let it go. Have you guys enjoyed this? I mean, it, it's been, it's been uh, challenging. It's been confronting. And, uh, you know, we here at Access Church, we, we determined in January... That this was going to be the year that we were going to grab hold and possess every single promise that God had for us. How many of you know that God has things for us this year? That we were not going to let another year go by where we don't grab hold or capture all that God has prepared for us. And so we started out in January with a series called Devoted. I can't believe we're already in and uh, it's just been, this year's going by so fast. And let me tell you, this summer can't go by fast enough. It's been super hot. And uh, and so we, the, the main idea behind our fully devoted series was that living a fully devoted life in Christ is the key to accessing all that God has for us. And and we understood that there is a, a connection or a correlation between our obedience and and our blessing between our obedience and our breakthrough. And then we went into the series called Take It By Force. Now, the main idea of this series was understanding that there are two forces in existence in the world, which are are in opposition, we have the kingdom of God and we have the the kingdom of darkness, and they are always constantly opposing each other. and And in fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter eleven, verse twelve, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. In other words, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has opposition. And and we understood that there is an adversary, that Satan himself. and, And we came to understand that Satan is not a name. Satan is not a title. Satan is a job description. The word Satan means adversary. And and he takes his job description very seriously. He lives and breathes to oppose everything that God wants to do in this world, in your life, in your family. And that's what he does. And so this opposition force exists, always uh, trying to deny, delay, or derail. Everything that God has planned for you. And so, taking hold of what God has for you in 2023, we said it's not going to be easy. You're going to encounter opposition, you're going to encounter resistance. The enemy's going to bring it. And so, in order for you to possess the promise, it's going to require an equal level response. It's gonna require an equal level response to the enemy's opposition. And so he said, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and it is the violent. It is those that are serious about getting God's blessings. We are the ones that are going to take it by force. So you have to have that, that mental and that emotional and spiritual fortitude that you're not going to give up and you're not going to give in. So what I'm saying is that if you're going to grab hold or take hold of all that God has for you, you're going to have to pray through the opposition. You're going to have to praise through the opposition, and you're going to have to push through the opposition. We have any praisers in the house today? We don't praise because everything is perfect. We don't praise because we don't have any problems. We don't praise because we're not, we already have all of our promises. We praise because we know that God is faithful, that God is true, and that if he said it, he is going to do it. That if he declared it, there is nothing on this earth and there is nothing in hell that can stop what God wants to do. There is victory in the name of Jesus. And worship is our warfare and prayer and praise are our weapon. And so we're going to push through. We're going to grab hold. And then the Holy Spirit led us into our current series called Let It Go. Look at your neighbor say, let it go. Don't tell them let me go. Say, let it go. Now, the main idea behind this series is that our blessing or breakthrough is not just in what we grab hold of or lay hold of, but it's also what we are willing to let Go of see and 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 this biblical pattern is woven throughout the scriptures from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of. Revelation. See, every time that God called someone into something new, whether it would be a new purpose, a new position, a new season, a new ministry, there was always something that they needed to let go of. In fact, we saw that Abraham had to let go of his homeland and his family. Joseph had to let go of the pit in the prison. Moses had to let go of his failure as a fugitive. Elisha had to let go of the plow. David had to let go of his failure with Bathsheba. Peter, James, and John had to let go of their nets. The paralytic at the Pool of Bethesda had to let go of his man. And Paul had to let go of his influence and affluence. And all of these series that we've been going through have been designed to create a path in order for you to possess your promise. Are you ready to possess your promise today? Are you ready to grab hold of the blessing? Are you ready to grab hold of that breakthrough? And so all of these series are designed designed to create a direct path in order for you to prepare and possess for your promise. And so, in fact, our next series is called Straight Paths. Somebody say straight paths. I don't know why preachers do that, but since they do it, I'm going to do it too. I don't know if it's to wake up the sleepers or what, but but we're going to talk about straight paths next, next month. And so all of these series were designed to help you create that path to possessing your promise. Pastor JC kicked off the series and and he challenged us to let go of unforgiveness and resentment. Anybody let go of some unforgiveness and and resentment in their life in order to bring freedom? It's not until you let go of unforgiveness. When you let go of those that offended you, you let go of the, the offense, you will let go of the resentment, you will not experience true freedom in your life. Pastor Rafa challenged us a couple of weeks ago to let go of our old nature and embrace our new nature. In fact, those of you that have been with us on Thursdays in Bible study, I don't even like to call it a new nature. I like to call it our original nature, the way that God created us to to be. And then I challenge you to let go of the fear and the familiar. And then I also challenge you to let go of disappointment. Anybody let go of some disappointment in their life? Thank you to the three of you. I knew it was for someone And so today I'm going to talk to you about letting go of the doubt, doubt. See, see doubt is something that can take root in your life and it can cause you to, to, to not move forward. It can cause you to be stuck in stagnant people that carry a spirit or a sense of doubt. They overanalyze every decision in their life. Have you ever met somebody that overanalyzes a decision and they never make a decision? You carry a spirit of doubt. It's like, man, should I eat cornflakes or Rice Krispies today? And you just think, well, if I eat cornflakes and then, but what if I need, you know, snap, crackle, and pop in my life and I don't have the snap, crackle, and pop. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting there and they just overanalyze that. And and so that is a spirit of doubt that can take root in your life and it can literally cause you to, to, to miss out on opportunities. It can miss, cause you to miss out on blessings. It could cause you to miss out on. On, on ministries it could cause you to miss out on open doors that god is 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 leading you in in your life and so doubt is one of those things that you need to let go of tell your neighbor let go of the doubt and and there is a a, a passage of scripture that uh, that that gives us a narrative of how doubt can keep you stuck and stagnant now go with me to the book of matthew chapter 14. And we're going to be reading verses 22 through 31. And it says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. He Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? See, the idea that every time God calls you into something new, he is going to cause you to let go of of, of old things, of old mindsets, of old patterns, of, of old paradigms, of old, re, old relationships, old friendships, and, and even uh, acquaintances. In fact, if you remember that we base all of this on the story of Abraham, who was called Abram at the time, where God was ready to implement his plan for restoration and redemption. And so he decided, I'm going to enter into a covenant in Abram's life. But in order for me to do something in Abraham's life. I, I need to take him out of where he is from. I need, to, I need to draw him out. And so the Bible says that he comes to Abraham. He says, I need you to leave your native land. I need you to leave your family. I need you to leave everything behind so I can do something new in your life. And and I love the way that Jesus uh, uh, gave us a metaphor when he was talking about putting new wine into old wineskins. And, and the reason he said no, No one would ever dare think about putting new wine into old wineskins. Why? Because when the wine begins to process, it begins to fulfill its purpose, there is an expansion within the wine, within the molecules, and that will cause the the wineskin to expand. And so if you put new wineskin into old wineskins, what happens is the wine, the old wineskin is no longer malleable. It's no longer stretchable. It's no longer moldable. And the wine will actually break the old wineskin so jesus says in order for you to to get the new wine to do something you have to put it into new wineskins. so god tells abram i i want to do something new in your life but i need to get you away from the familiar i need to get you away from from the 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 people that know you in order to take you to a new place now why would god ask you to let go of some people Think about it. it. It almost seems counterintuitive. Like that that does not seem like, like something God would do. But in fact, when we look at Abraham's life, he he almost fully obeyed God. But God told him, I need you to leave everything. But he took his nephew with him. He took his nephew with him. And see, that's one of the hardest things for us to let go is to let go of old people. It's to let go of old relationships, old friendships, and we and and, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm not talking about about not having relationship with old family members or friends, but there are some people that will have a negative influence in your life that you are going to have to let go of. And so Abraham leaves, but he takes Lot and his family with him. And when they're in the middle of the process, they're on the way, and I imagine God is like, "Dude, you just didn't get it. I told you to leave everything. I didn't say to bring a nephew." I didn't say to bring a family member, but obviously there was some type of affection that Abraham had towards Lot. I don't know what it was, but he felt the need to bring him. But halfway through the process, halfway through the journey, there was contention. They began to fight. They began to oppose their, they, they, they were, they, they fell into opposition. Why? Because they had different, they, they had different objectives. They had different goals. and And it wasn't until Abraham told Lot to go, till he let him go, that is when the new covenant happened. That is when God changed his name from Abram into Abraham. But it wasn't till he let go of all the old things, even some old people. So why would God require you to let go of old people? Not old people in age, just old relationships. Because he knows that you catch whatever you're close to. You catch whatever you're close to. See, if you hang around gossipers, you're going to be a gossiper. If you hang around complainers, you'll be a complainer. If you hang around quitters, you're going to be a quitter. Have you ever met somebody that quits everything? Like they, 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 like two days into it, they quit. They start a diet, they quit. They go to the gym two days, they quit. They, they just quit everything. See, whatever you're close to, that's what you're going to catch. That is what you're going to be. And it's almost like that Spanish saying, Dime con quien andas si y te diré quien eres. That is the Greek word for whatever you... Really, people? You'll catch whatever you're close to. And, and see, See, God knows that in order for him to do something new in your life... You're going to have to let go of some old friendships, some old relationships. You're going to have to let go. And that's why he told Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, all of your peeps, and go to the land. And so Abraham had to leave his circle of friendships and acquaintances. Why? Because they would never be able to assimilate him as Abraham. To them, he would always just be Abram. They would not accept his new identity. They would not accept who God was creating him to be and and molding him to be. They would never be able to, to, to assimilate that. And see, there are some relationships, friendships, and acquaintances that you need to leave because they will always see you as the old you. They will always see you as the old you. They'll remind you of your past. They'll remind you of your your mistakes. They'll remind you of your failures. They'll remind you of your divorce. They'll remind you of your depression. They'll remind you of who you used to be. And see, to those people, to them, Moses would still just be the adopted son of Pharaoh. To them, Elisha would still just be the plowman. To them, Jacob would still be the mama's boy. To to them, Joseph would still be a daddy's boy. To them, Zacchaeus would still be a cheating tax collector. To them, David would just be a shepherd boy. He could never be the king. To them, Peter, James, and John would still be just a bunch of filthy fishermen. To them, Paul would still just be the mass murderer of Christians. And to them, Jesus would still just be the illegitimate son of a carpenter. See, when you hang around old people that can't accept the new thing that God is doing in your life, they will never be able to see you the way God is molding you and taking you to be. And so sometimes you have to let them go. See, if people see you as the old you, then that is a clear indication that their season in your life has expired. I don't know if you knew this, but there are expiration dates on some relationships. And I've learned something, that God will bring people into your life for a reason, for a season, or a lifetime. Now, you've got to determine, are they there for a reason? There's some people that God will bring in your life just to connect you to somebody else. They're not meant to walk with you the rest of your life. They're not meant to walk with you through your purpose. They're, they're, They're just to connect you. See, some of you might be here today that someone brought you to church and they don't even come anymore. See, God didn't bring them for a season or a lifetime. They just brought you a reason to connect you to the right place. So God will bring people in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. But there are some relationships that have an expiration. What happens when you ingest things that are expired? You get sick. I remember years ago in Mexico, I was really craving a really good sandwich with ham and cheese and mayo, tomato and avocado. But the problem was that the tomato, we had one tomato, and it had a little bit of mold. And I said, you know what? I'll just cut the moldy part out. One of the worst mistakes of my life. I was sick for over two weeks. Nothing would stay in. It would go in and it'd go out every way. I was sick. But see, I thought I was being smart by cutting the bad parts out. What you don't realize, see, sometimes we, we do that with the relationship. We think we're cutting out the bad part, not realizing that they're influenced with all the other junk that's going to make you sick. And so there are relationships that you're going to have to cut out. You're going to have to walk away from. You're going to have to let go. And and, and here's the reason, is that people's perspectives or opinions will either feed your faith or they'll feed your doubt. If people continue to see you as the old you, if they continue to remind you of when you used to be the partier, when you used to be the drug addict, the alcoholic, when you used to be el pelionero, Yeah, he's here. Oh, no, I got to feed your faith. Sorry, not your doubt. If people remind you of your past, they're going to feed your doubt. Why? Because God is calling you to a new level. God is calling you to to something different. That's the story of Gideon. See, the Bible says that Gideon was, was hiding out in a vat and he was threshing wheat. Everybody knew him as a coward, but God shows up and calls him a courageous, mighty warrior. And so at some point, Gideon had to leave out the old people because every day that he would go out to fight, they would remind him, hey, remember, you're a coward. That's not you. But God told me I'm a courageous, mighty one. No, dude, you got it all wrong. You're just a coward. Look, you were hiding out in a vat because you're chicken because you're scared. And when you hang around people that still see you as the old you, God is calling you into your new identity. God is calling you into your new purpose. God is calling you into your your new position, but people are still typecasting you into who you used to be. And every time you hear who you used to be, that begins to feed your doubt and you'll never move forward as long as you're feeding your doubt. So what you need to do is you need to hang around people that aren't reminding you about who who you used to be, but reminding you about who God is calling you to be. They're not reminding you of where you came from, they're reminding you where God is taking you. Those are the kind of people that you need to be. Those are the be around. Those are the kind of people that are going to feed your faith and not feed your doubt. So there are some people in your life that you're going to have to let go. Are you with me? So, here in this text, Matthew 14, the disciples had just finished this amazing time of ministry. They had just seen Jesus take five loaves of bread and feed about fifteen to 20,000 people. You're like, Pastor, I think you got your Bible wrong. It only says 5,000. No, read your text. It says 5,000 men. So most theologians gauge that there was approximately fifteen to 20,000 people that Jesus fed with five loaves of bread and 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 i imagine that they were they were excited they were happy they were talking about dude did you see i took the you know i took the concha and i just kept like giving it and giving it and giving it and giving it and 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 it it just never finished and i just kept taking a piece off and taking a piece off in the concha like it was still there like anybody want a concha like that that never runs out And they're like you too, like me too, and and, and I imagine that they're, they're they're talking about this amazing time of ministry, this amazing miracle. They were on this this ministry high about what they had just seen and experienced. But now Jesus, the Bible says in, in verse in verse twenty two, Jesus makes them get in the boat. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a recommendation. The Bible says that he commanded them. He made them get into the boat. He says, "Okay, guys, that was great." But now it's time to move on. It, it, that, that, was, that, was, that was amazing. But I'm here to tell you that there's something better. If you think this was good, where I'm taking you is something better. You can't get stuck in the good. You can't just stuck in what I did when I want to do something better. So Jesus says, I need to take you to the other side. I want you to get into the boat. I'm going I'm to dismiss the crowd. And then I'll meet you as you go. So the Bible says that they get in the boat they're about halfway through the sea and all of a sudden the storm begins to stir up now isn't that just like the devil after an amazing victory after an amazing time of ministry isn't just that just like the devil, to bring trials and tribulations and to bring attacks, to bring the storms and, and God is speaking to you about, about amazing things. God is speaking to you about, about expansion. God is speaking to you about doing great things and all of a sudden it's in the one of the most difficult moments of your life that the enemy begins to, to stir it up and here they were. They had this amazing uh, time of ministry and, and so I believe that this, this story is juxtaposed between what happened on one side and what's going to take place on the other side because this is what happens in our life. Oftentimes, we we, we, we get blessed and we feel like this sense of, 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 of faith and this sense of wonder that God is with us, this confidence. Then all of a sudden, the storm arises and there they were and the Bible says that the wind began to buffet them. The wind began to, 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 to give them resistance. The wind began to, to hold them back and so they were trying to go against the wind and the wind. And so isn't that just like the enemy to conjure up a storm right after a great victory? But Jesus gave them a command to go to the other side. And as they were on their way to fulfilling God's plan and purposes, then the storm stirred up. And I imagine that it was in the middle of that storm that the disciples probably began to doubt. They began to Questioned. they began to doubt did did he really mean to go to the other side did he really mean to move they were they were probably there doubting God's purposes doubting God's plans doubting God's promises doubting God's peace doubting God's God's provision they were they were they were they were there they were thinking you know that that maybe God didn't Jesus didn't really mean that we're going to make it but no Jesus commanded them he he commanded them he gave them a word go to the other side he didn't say you might make it he said go to the other side I'm going to I'm going to meet you there And and see, that's what happens often with us is that we think that the resistance is a sign that we are on the wrong path. But like I said in the Take It By Four series, every time God is going to move you forward, you have to know that the enemy is going to bring opposition. I remember after serving in in Mexico for almost seven and a half years, God was bringing us back to a new assignment. We had prayed. We had fasted. We had asked counsel from our pastor if we were to come back because we did not want want to come back from Mexico. We loved what we were doing. We were traveling and preaching all over Mexico, and God, but God had a different plan. He wanted us to come to the other side, and so as we were coming, let me tell you, when we made the decision to come, all hell broke loose. I got appendicitis, and I was in San Antonio preaching, and all of a sudden, I had to go and have emergency surgery, and then on the way here, we were coming with all, all the moving and, and our, our, our vehicle that we had never had a problem with, all of a sudden, the engine blows, and we're stuck in in the middle of nowhere in this small town in Zacatecas called Concepcion de Oro and and, and that's full of gypsies and crazy people. And and so we had to leave our vehicle there. It it was just crazy. But that's what happens every time that God is getting ready to move. You have to know that there is going to be opposition. And if you don't understand that, you will see the wind and the storm as as a sign that maybe you're on the wrong path. That maybe you, you, you need to turn around because what happens is oftentimes our faith is contingent on the conditions, and when our faith is contingent on the conditions, we might doubt what God had commanded us. And I'm sure we might interpret the wind as an indication that we should just turn around and go back, and I'm sure that's where the disciples were. Maybe we should go back. Maybe he didn't really mean it. Maybe he didn't really want us to start a church in Eagle Pass, Texas. Let me tell you, when we made the decision to start a church in Eagle Pass, Texas, all hell broke loose. People walk in like, oh, this is beautiful. This wasn't easy. This took a lot of faith and a lot of prayer. Probably a lot more faith than anything. I remember when we made the decision to move into this building in the middle of the pandemic. Everything was shut down. And we didn't know if any of y'all were going to come back. God said we need to move and, and and there you are it's it's in those moments where the storm and the resistance comes and and you can you can fall into t- doubt but see what if the wind is not a sign that we are not in God's will but a sign that what is on the other side of the storm is so significant that it's worth pu- that it's worth pushing through What if the wind isn't a sign that you're on the wrong path? What if the wind is a sign that you're on the right path? And what's on the other side of the storm, what's on the other side of the lake is worth you fighting for and taking it by force and and persevering. See, the enemy cannot defeat you. The only thing he can do is get you to quit. You can only defeat yourself. And that's why doubt is so significant because it's in the moment of greatest doubt where people often quit. And I tell you over and over again, the devil cannot defeat you. can only get you to quit and it's often in the middle of the storm where people lose faith and they begin to doubt they begin to question begin to doubt God's word but oftentimes the wind not necessarily is a sign that you're on the wrong path but it's a sign that God is taking you to something greater and it's in the middle of that storm that you're going to have to push through you're going to have to push through the fear you're going to have to push through the doubt and and, and there's something here about the storm see the bible says that they were in the middle of the lake the storm was was raging and jesus was a, was far off that he was he was not close and how do we know that because they didn't recognize him they thought he was a ghost all they saw was this figure walking on the water and, and they were afraid. They were terrified. And that's when Jesus calls out. He calls out. And, and, and he says, he, he calls out and says, hey, it's I. It is I. Do not be afraid. But let, let's look at Matthew 25. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And I love this because the Bible says that right before dawn. See, those of you that know... That the darkest part of the night is right before dawn. The darkest part of the night is right before daylight begins to break. And see, oftentimes, you've got to know that in your darkest hour, that is when Jesus is going to show up. In that moment where you feel like giving up, the moment where the doubt wants to overtake you, you got to know that Jesus is going to come and say, hey, you're not alone. I'm with you in this storm. You're not on the lone. You're on the right path. If I said it, I'm going to do that. If I called you to it, I'm going to sustain you through it. You have to know that he's not going to leave you even in the storm. He's not going to leave you in the fire. And it says right before dawn, Jesus shows up. And the disciples were afraid because they thought he was a ghost. But I love it. Jesus calls out to them. He says, don't be afraid. See, sometimes we think the storm is designed to stop us. And and, and maybe it is. Maybe the devil conjured up the storm to try to stop you. But isn't it like God to take something the devil designed to destroy you and God can use it as something to bless you? Have you ever tried talking in the middle of a tropical storm? You can't hear anything. And so, picture this, that the disciples were going in a, a, against the wind, but yet they see Jesus coming and he calls out to them. They, he calls out to them. See, what if it was the wind that carried Jesus' voice that allowed them to hear, hey, you don't need to be afraid. See, sometimes we think the storm is there to resist us, but sometimes the storm is there to reveal to us who is with us in the middle of the storm, that he is not there. And so what they thought was a point of resistance, God says, I'm going to use this wind. This wind is scaring you, but I'm going to use this wind to bless you. I'm going to use this wind to remind you that you're not alone. Even in the middle of the process, in the middle of the storm, when doubt is trying to overtake you, and it was in the middle of the wind that Jesus called out to them, and it was the very thing that they thought was resisting them that Jesus used to remind them that he was there. So that is why I say the word is greater than the wind. Matthew 14, 28, 29 says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. 29, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked onto the water, and came toward Jesus. Look, look, look how Peter responds. They're, they're freaking out. They think it's a ghost. And Jesus says, it is I, What does Peter, how how does Peter respond? He says, Lord, if it's you. And I imagine Jesus like, I'm not a liar. Jesus said, hey, you don't need to be afraid. It is I. I, it's me, it's Jesus, the same one the last time that spoke to the wind and spoke to the waves. I'm the, one, I'm the same guy that calmed the storm. Now I'm walking in the storm. Now I'm walking in the storm. And what does Peter respond? He doesn't see this as a declaration of faith. He sees it as an exploration of possibility. He says, Lord, if it is you. He doesn't say, Lord, I know it's you. He said, if it's you, he wasn't expressing faith. He was just exploring the possibility. What if? If it is you, Jesus and then he said, Lord, if it's you, give me a word. Now, you have to be careful because Jesus will give you what you ask for. And he said, Lord, if it is you, he didn't say, okay, thank you for the, thank you for the affirmation. Thank you, Jesus, because now I know you're in the storm with me. I, I, I believe you 100%. He was still scared. He was still apprehensive. There was still a seed of doubt. And he said, if it is you... Give me a word. And what did Jesus do? He literally gave him one word. He said, Come. I'm sure Peter was thinking, I was kind of expecting a little more than that, God. And Jesus is like, "Uh, That's what you asked for. He said, Tell me to come. He says, Okay, come. And Peter's in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the storm. And he gets the word. And oftentimes, God is calling us out of something, and we're looking for instruction, but God is just giving us direction. And Peter's probably thinking, okay, I've never walked on water before. I could really use some tips. Like, do I tiptoe? You know, do I get out on all fours? Do I, like, jump in? Do I dive in? And Jesus just says, Come. And in that moment, Peter had to make a decision. Am I going to believe the command or am I going to believe the condition? And oftentimes we get stuck in our doubt because we're too focused on the condition and not focused on the command. And Jesus said, come. He didn't say, well, try and come. Well, you know, come if you can. Jesus said, Come and Peter in that moment, he had to make a decision. We know that he was doubting why because he said, If it is you, you only say, If if you're in doubt, if you called me. If you're, you you chose me, if you're going to use me, if you're going to promote me, if you're going to bless me, if this really, if this word is really from you, God, and He said, "Come." See, one thing I learned about doubt: doubt is nothing more than misplaced faith. See, because when you doubt, you're putting your faith in the wrong things. You're putting your faith in. The what if, see, well, you have to realize that what if goes both ways. What if I fail? What if I, 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 I go broke? What if I go bankrupt? What if I, I don't succeed? What if I don't get the position? What if I don't get the promotion? But what if God does bless me? What if God allows me to walk on water? What if God takes me to a new level? What if, see, what if goes both ways? But when you're in the middle of doubt, you still have faith, but your faith is just in the wrong things. You're putting your faith in the condition and not putting your faith in the command. What is the command? That is God's word. And at that moment, Peter had to choose, am I going to believe the doubt or am I going to believe the command? And I love what it says. It says, then Peter got out of the boat. We we, we don't know if it was immediately, but but it kind of leads us to say that when he said come, Peter overcame the doubt and he got out of the boat and the Bible says in verse 29 that he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. See, it is when your faith is contingent on the conditions and not on the command is when doubt begins to take root in your heart and your life. And Peter had to make a decision. Am I going to believe the condition, which is the storm, the winds, the waves, or am I going to believe the command? See, the Bible teaches us, when when Jesus told him, he said, the Bible says, he made them get into the boat. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't a recommendation. He made them. It was a command. And and look at what the psalmist writes in Psalm 37, 23. It says, The steps of a good man are what ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The Bible says that he orders. What is an order? Isn't an order a command? And the Bible here tells us that God orders your steps. That that word order in the original language means that he establishes them, that he sustains them. So you have to understand that every time God speaks, he creates. And and that's why we, we, we struggle so much with believing his word because we don't understand that because you and I speak and we don't create anything. We could say something today and we could change our mind tomorrow. But when God speaks, he cannot take back his word. Why? Because his word creates, his word sustains. And the Bible says that God orders the steps, God commands the steps, God establishes the steps, God sustains the steps. So what does Peter do? He overcomes the doubt and the Bible says that he steps out of the boat and he begins to walk on water. So what was Peter walking on? Peter wasn't walking on the water, he was walking on the command. He was walking on the word because Jesus said, I command you to come. He said, come. So Peter gets out. So you've got to understand that whatever God calls you to, he will sustain you through. If he calls you to it, he's going to bring you through it. He's going to provide you through it. Why? Because every time he commands, he creates something. So you don't have to worry. God, that's why the Bible says it is the anointing that makes a way where there is no way. It is the anointing that makes a river where there is no river in the desert. So when he calls you, it's in a command, and he creates. And Peter steps out, but he's not stepping on the water. He's stepping on the word. And he's stepping on the word. And he's stepping on the word. It's almost like God's words create, you know, paving stones in your life towards your purpose, towards your destiny. And all you have to do... To step on the word. See the problem is when is is when we step out of the word. We step out of the word or we step before the word. As long as we're stepping on the word, he's going to sustain you. He's going to hold you up. He's going to provide. He's going to see you through that. But look at what happens verse 30 and 31 says, but when he saw the wind talking about Peter, he was afraid beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Jesus tells Peter, you of little faith. Mm. But notice what it says. It says, Peter saw the wind. Can you see the wind? Not a quick question, not a trick question. Can you see the wind? No. Thank you. Give that young man an extra donut. No, you can't see the wind. But it says Peter saw the wind. What happened? He lost focus off the command. And started focusing on the condition. See, that's what happens when doubt creeps into your heart. You begin to see things that aren't really there. Your mind begins to play tricks on you. You begin to formulate ideas and and concepts, and 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 you get into a place of worry, and there's nothing for you to worry about. And so Peter's here, and the Bible says, it's not making a mistake, that Peter saw the wind. You can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. But it doesn't say that Peter saw the effects of the wind. The Bible says that Peter saw the wind. And when he saw the wind, that seed of doubt, just in a moment, he had already taken a few steps and all of a sudden he begins to doubt the, the command and he begins to focus on the condition. And his mind started playing tricks on him and it started causing him to see what wasn't there and see what you have to realize is that doubt starts with a thought a what if what if i fail what if i don't make it what if i don't get it what if i'm not good enough what if i'm not smart enough what if i don't know the right people see the problem is is that you can get caught by a thought the enemy just needs a thought isn't that how he hooked eve he showed up in the Garden of Eden in a perfect paradise, in a perfect atmosphere, and he just dropped the seed of doubt, a thought. Did God really say that? I don't know why in my mind I hear like Urkel. Did he really say that? That's how I read it in my mind. Just giving you some insight into this craziness up in my head. Did he really mean that? Did God really say for you to move? Did God really say for you to leave your old church? Did God really say for you to apply for that promotion? Did God really say for you to to quit your job and start your business? All he needs is a thought. And a thought is a seed that can produce a root or a tree of doubt in your life. And that is why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, he says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, when the enemy brings those thoughts, you've got to demolish it. You can't enter. The problem is that we entertain the thought, and that's what Eve did. Eve began to entertain the thought instead of demolishing the argument. Peter began to entertain the thought. Instead of focusing on the command, he started looking at the condition. He's like, I should not be walking on water. Yeah, you shouldn't be. But you're not walking on the water, you're walking on the word. He thought he was walking on water, but he wasn't. He wasn't walking on the water. He was really walking on the word. He was walking on the command. And just that little seed of doubt. And that's why Paul says, Paul understands what a thought can happen. He says, you've got to demolish every argument. And you've got to take every thought captive. Every thought that acknowledges itself against Christ. You you have to grab hold of it. He said, uh-uh, devil, you are a liar. Uh-uh, thought, you are a liar. Sometimes it's not even the devil. Sometimes it's our own insecurities. Sometimes it's our own inadequacies that can get the best of us. And we can begin to doubt. I failed last time. Well, just because you fail last time doesn't mean you're going to fail this time. See, last time you stepped out on the water, but this time you're stepping out on the word. And when you step on the word, you can never fail. God doesn't need a plan B. God will never let you fall back as long as you're walking on the word. And so you've got to understand. But Peter focuses on the condition instead of on the command. And he begins to sink. And Jesus says, dude, I thought we had something going here. Still have little faith. But see, that that term little faith wasn't about quantity. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the quality of faith. And, and and even that's where a lot of Christians get it wrong because Jesus tells the disciples at one point, he says, if you have faith like that of a mustard seed, then you can tell that mountain to move. And we think it's about the size. We think it's about the quantity, about the amount, and we think, well, you just need a little bit of faith. No. See, the mustard seed was a very tiny seed, but when you planted the seed in the right ground, in the right environment, it can produce one of the largest trees. And and that's what Jesus was saying. All you need is the right seed. See, you can have a seed of faith, a seed that will grow your faith, or you can have a thought, a seed that could grow your doubt. That's what Jesus was trying to tell you. It's it's all a seed. See, a seed can a seed a thought can either be a seed to build your faith, grow your faith, or a, a thought can be a seed to grow your doubt. He wasn't talking about the quantity. He was talking about the quality of the faith. And so he tells Peter, "Man, you you are almost there. You you almost made it. It wasn't about the quality of his faith. It was how far his faith was taking him." And see, oftentimes we re, we read this passage. And we think that Peter took like two steps and began to sink. Or is that just me? That's why I've always read it all my life. And it wasn't until I was reading this passage this week that I realized something. I, in, in my mind, maybe I saw it in a movie, I don't know, that Peter got out, took two steps, and oh, began to sink. But the Bible says... That when he started sinking, he cried out, and Jesus immediately picked him up. He was close to Jesus. Where was Jesus? Jesus was far away. He was so far that they couldn't recognize him. So that tells me that Peter was walking on the word for quite a while. He was walking on the word. He was walking on the word. He was walking on the word. He had already left the boat. I imagine he got to the point where he couldn't even see the old peeps anymore. His faith had gotten him far enough to be close to Jesus. But in that moment, he loses focus of the command. And he started focusing on the conditions. And... And what happened is that he didn't understand the power of ordered steps. Remember, when God speaks, he creates. And he tells Peter, you have little faith. And then that brought to mind, when did Jesus call somebody that they had great faith? And that took me to Matthew chapter 8 verses five through nine where he has this encounter with a roman centurion a a, a roman a centurion was someone that was over a hundred a hundred troops a hundred legions a very powerful affluential officer in the roman army and in verse five it says when jesus returned to capernaum a roman officer came and pleaded with him lord my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain Jesus said, I will come and heal him. You want some hermeneutical insight to this passage? Most theologians believe, because they say, well, why would a Roman soldier be pleading for a young servant? But most theologians believe that the young servant was actually his child that he had with one of his maidservants. That was like on the down low, if you know what I mean. So he was desperate. And he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, my young servant, (laughs) she's terribly ill. And Jesus says, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. He said, Lord, my young servant is terribly ill. Say the word and he will be healed. I'm not worthy. He knew who that little boy was. I said, girl, it was a little boy. I'm not worthy. My mistake, my failure is terribly ill. But I love that little boy so much. Well, he needs a healing from you. And Jesus says, I'll go. He says, uh-uh, just say the word. And Jesus is like, what? I've never seen faith like this before in all of Israel. Why? Because the Roman soldier understood the power of ordered steps. He understood the power of a command. And you have to realize that oftentimes the command is your confirmation he said just say the word and jesus was amazed at the centurion's faith he was amazed he's like i've never seen faith before like this in all of israel why because he understood the power of ordered steps he understood that all jesus needed to do was say the word see when you understand the power of god's commanded words there's no room for doubt. There's no room for doubt. See, there's going to be some times that God calls you out of or God calls you to something that you're not going to have time for 27 signs. But wait a minute. You just talked about Gideon. Gideon put a fleece before the Lord. Remember the story of Gideon when God called him a mighty warrior, courageous, and everybody was calling him a coward. And he's like, God, is this really you or are they punking me? He says, okay, if it's you, God, I'm going to put out a sheep's fleece. In the morning, I want dew all over the ground, but no dew on the fleece. And the next morning, Gideon goes out and there's dew all on the ground, but there's no dew on the fleece. And he says, te lo voy a hacer más difícil, Dios. I'm going to make it harder for you. I'm going to put out the same fleece, but this time, I don't want dew on the ground. I just want dew on the fleece. And the next morning, Gideon comes out, and there's no dew on the ground, but there's dew on the fleece. See, he was starting out in his relationship with God. But if you realize, there came an elevation of faith. There became a maturity where Gideon no longer needed a sign. He just needed a word. And God began to pare down his 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 army. He began he started with thousands. And God says, You have too many men. He stopped asking for a sign. He said, Okay, God. And he stopped asking for a sign and God started giving him the sign. These are the ones that you're gonna take with you. These are the ones and he was left with 300. Gideon never asked for another sign. Why? Because there are some times in your life where God is gonna tell you to come, God is gonna tell you to go, God is telling you gonna step out, and you're gonna have to step out. You don't have time to wait for confirmation because your confirmation will be his command. When you understand the command of God's word, when he says go, you have to do. We see that Abraham left immediately. Elisha immediately left the plow. The disciples immediately dropped their nets. Peter immediately got out of the boat. The paralytic immediately got up and walked. See, there are going to be times in your life if you're going to possess everything that God has, God is saying you've got to let it go. You've got to let go of the doubt. You've got to let go the thoughts that are feeding your doubt and not feeding your faith. You've got to step out and immediately understand that you are not walking on the water. You are now walking on his word. And it's time to start walking on the word. We've got to elevate our faith. So sometimes you say, it's time to go. There are times where we were driving throughout Mexico, and we lived in Mexico in what was considered the worst time of the, the narco-traffic violence. Two thousand, We were there from 2006 all the way to 2012. The worst years were 9, 10, and 11. And there were times that we'd be driving, and the Holy Spirit would say, stop and take a break. Sometimes he would tell me to take a detour. Sometimes he'd tell me to go faster. That's why I told the police, God told me to speed. I'm not speeding, I'm walking on the word. (laughs) And a lot of times I wouldn't even tell Sandra. I would just slow down. I would stop, and she'd look at me weird because I'm a typical guy. You know, the GPS says you make it in three hours. That's not the time to get there, that's the time to beat. I take it as a personal challenge <laughs> three hours <laughs> and there were times where we would either get there delayed and there was an accident. Sometimes we'd get there delayed and there was a shooting. Sometimes we would, we would, we would move ahead or move, move behind and when you begin to listen to the command of God's voice, you don't have time always to ask for confirmation you have to be quick to obey because remember that your obedience is connected to your breakthrough and your blessing and sometimes when he says you've got to let it go you've got to move you got to step out it's because that's the right time and the right moment and he's going to sustain you into your next season to your next position whatever it is into your promise are you ready to let it go Will you stand? Close your eyes, Heavenly Father. Thank you for Your Word. Thank you, God, for Your revelation. Lord God, I pray that this Word ministered, encouraged, challenged, confronted, God our faith, so that we won't miss out on what You have for us, God. If there is a a thought, a seed of doubt that is still stirring, keeping us stagnant and stuck, God, God, we want to let it go now. We uproot it right now by the power of Your Holy Spirit. God, we don't want to get focused on the conditions. God, we, we don't want to let doubt make us see things that aren't really there. God, we want to focus on your word. We want to focus on you. Focus on the command. Because the word is always greater than the wind. God, thank you for your word today. God, help us to have the faith and the boldness to step when you say to step. So we won't miss out on any opportunity any breakthrough or blessing that you have for us in 2023. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap and praise. Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.